Hey, this is Rodney Gage. I'm the pastor of Rethink Life Church in Orlando, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages and inspires you to live with a new perspective, make better choices, and have a greater impact with your life. Here's today's message. And if you've missed any of these, these uh, messages or installments of this series, I encourage you to check out our podcast, check out um, the, our YouTube channel. We have all of that available online uh, on our website, so you can check that out as well. Uh, Michelle and I, we were talking to a friend last night, um, actually uh, someone that we just recently got to know. We don't even know if she is a follower of Christ, but um, she started listening to our Winning Family podcast and she just recently went through a very difficult time uh, of a divorce. And she listened to one of our podcasts uh, through the Winning Family podcast that we have on this issue and what to do after divorce. And she said it changed her life. And uh, so I'm just so thankful that we have the opportunity to give people hope and to give people help and to give people guidance so they can win and they can be all that God has destined for them to be. Amen. And so that's what this series is all about. It's to help us dream again, help us hope again, help us to find um, God's plan and purpose that we can live for and that we can ultimately live our lives so that we can take back what the enemy has used to try to sabotage us and defeat us and discourage us. And so uh, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about some things that I think are very important when it comes to winning as a person, as a couple, as a family. And uh, today, I want to share with you about having a blessed family and really what that means to our lives. In fact, when you, uh, when you think about it, I'm just curious, uh, how many of you want your life, you want your marriage, you want your family to be blessed? Let me see your hands. Come on, everybody. I mean, everybody wants to be blessed, right? I mean, uh, how many of you want to be cursed? Let me see your hands. Anybody, you probably feel cursed, but, but, you know, when you think about it, we all want to be blessed, right? That's the goal. That's what we're all striving for. That's what we want. That's what we pray for. But often when you think about families and you think about most people today across the landscape of America, our culture, normally the word blessed doesn't come to the top of your list. You know what I'm saying? We don't kind of look at what's going on in our culture and in our world today, especially even in light of what happened yesterday at the mall there, that outdoor mall in Allen, Texas. And again, just another crazy, you know, unspeakable, unfathomable situation occurred as far as a, a shooter and innocent lives being taken. So when, when you see all this stuff and you hear all this stuff, I mean, again, being blessed is not normally the word that comes to the forefront of our minds. If anything, the word stressed is probably more relevant to what most people can relate to and where most people seemingly live their lives. And I'm convinced that God's original plan and purpose for each of our lives and for our marriage and our family, our children, is not to be stressed, but to live blessed. And here's what I've come to realize that when you think about living a blessed life, in fact, I heard someone say that um, if you could summarize the Christian life in one word, what would that word be? Well, it's the word obedience. And that really is the key to living a blessed life, is living a 
an, an obedient life. And one of the keys to living a blessed life is to do life God's way. Because he gives us a choice. So when we choose to live life God's way, he says, you will be blessed. But when we take matters in our own hands and we make the decision to do life our way, then we usually carry a lot of stress. And so again, he gives us a choice. So we can do it God's way, we can do it our way. But he says, when you live a life of obedience and you do it my way, I'm going to bless your life. Now, does that mean it's always going to be easy and hunky-dory and, you know, life is filled with a bunch of, you know, lilies and roses? No, that's not what he's promising. But what he is saying is, is that my hand will be upon you. I will take care of you. I'll provide for you. I will protect you. I will open doors and pathways for you. I will bless you if you follow my ways. So with that, this is my prayer for you. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 6. And this is Moses talking to a group of people just like you and me. It was the people of Israel. And this is after Moses heard from God and God gave Moses the instructions. And once again, he said, I want you to tell this. I want you to reinforce these words to my people. And here, we're, here was the message. Moses said, if you will fully obey the Lord your God, and carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all of these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be blessed. Now again, let me ask you a question. How many of you want to be blessed today? Well, there it is. And it's right at the very beginning. Where basically God says, if. The key is if. You've got a choice. I'm not going to force it on you. But if you will obey the commands that I'm giving you today, you will be blessed. And that's my prayer. That's what I pray for all of us to know, to understand, most importantly, to live out, to experience in our everyday lives, in our homes, in our families. Because that's the way we're going to win spiritually. That's the way we're going to be victorious morally and spiritually over all the things that the enemy is using to come against us. And one of the ways that we experience God's blessings and one of the ways that that we in many ways express the obedient factor of our lives is also through having a heart of giving or generosity. In fact, Jesus said it this way. He said in Acts 20 verse 35, in fact, this was in the book of Acts and this was after Jesus had already died, crucified, came back to life. But this was the Apostle Paul, and it was the only place where Jesus' words were quoted in the book of Acts. And it says these words. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to what? To receive. So if we want a blessed life, one of the ways that we have a blessed life is also by having a heart of generosity. To have a heart that's willing to give. I love what Winston Churchill once said. He said, 
You can make a living, you make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. And it's so true. When you think about the incredible blessings that God has for us, and the key to those blessings is not only through a heart of obedience, but we express that often through a heart of generosity. And I don't think this is illustrated anywhere better than in the book of John, John chapter 6, which I'm going to unpack for just a few moments, where perhaps the most famous miracle, maybe in all of the Bible, that Jesus performed. In fact, it's the only miracle that is actually recorded in all four books of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what's interesting is that this specific miracle took place in a way that I think is going to challenge us today, because I believe with all of my heart, what they experienced and what they witnessed through this miracle known as the feeding of the 5,000, I believe God wants to do in our lives today when it comes to living a blessed life. And here's what he said. And here's the story from John's perspective. In John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, after, at, it says, after this, in other words, Jesus had been out and about doing ministry. He, he had healed a man who was lame, uh, could not walk, and an incredible miracle, miracle after miracle had happened. All these people were flocking to Jesus. He couldn't get a break. I mean, the demands were so great. The needs were so demanding of Jesus. And he tried to escape, but he couldn't. And so many different things took place. And then all of a sudden, after all of this happened, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, which is an epic place to be. And also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. And then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. Now it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. That simply meant that, meant that people were gathering by massive crowds. They were all flocking to come to Jerusalem to worship and to celebrate. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. So he's turning to Philip and he asks, he said, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? Now, probably with Sunday, Chick-fil-A was closed. So Jesus is saying, hey, you know any places we could go around here? I mean, the reason why he asked Philip, because if anybody would have known, it would have been Philip. Because he was a, he was a resident of a nearby town, so he knew the lay of the land. He knew where to go to get food. So Jesus asked Philip that question, but he was testing Philip, the scripture says. For he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, even if we work for months, we couldn't have enough money to feed them. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and he said, hey, he said, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Jesus said, tell everybody to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered some 5,000 people. Now keep that in mind. Then Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks to God and distributed it among the people. And afterwards, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. And after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, he said, now go gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled the 12 
baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. And when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is a prophet that we have been expecting. There are three things I just want to share with you today from this particular story, which we're all familiar with. I would assume that most of us, and all of, all of us, have heard or at least were familiar with this story of the feeding of the 5,000. And the first is this. I think it's important that we understand that we need to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. we got to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. My question to you is, how many of you have ever done something that didn't make sense? Right? We've all done that. For example, a number of years ago, I went skydiving. First time, only time in my life. Jumped out of an airplane, 13,000 feet in the air with some guy I didn't even know strapped to my back. I mean, I still can't believe I did something that way. It made no sense to me. I hate heights. I do not like the fear. I am fearful of heights. I don't like getting on ladders. I don't, I don't, I don't do well being up high. And I was 13,000 feet high, not with marijuana, but high in the sky. I'm talking about way over the clouds. And I still can't believe I did that. Didn't even make sense, but I did it. We started this church over 20 years ago. We left our brand new dream home we had just built. We left our friends. We left all of our family who just moved to Dallas because of us. We left our home church, and we moved to Orlando, Florida. Made no sense to any of our friends, any of our families, but we sensed the call of God on our lives. And still to this day, they're scratching their heads saying, we cannot believe y'all did that. But you know, there are some things in our lives that God sometimes prompts us to do. Sometimes he, he impresses upon us to do things that sometimes on the human level it really doesn't make sense but on the supernatural and the spiritual realm we have to step out we have to trust God that he knows what he is doing and I think one of the reasons why when Jesus was testing Philip and Jesus was asking the questions that he was asking them is because he knew from their perspective, what he was asking them to do would not measure up. Humanly speaking, it did not make any sense. There were some 5,000 just men. So many scholars believe there could be potentially up to 10, 15,000 people when you include women and girls, all of the families, bystanders, the people that were gathered there on that hillside. And yet in this moment, all of the things did not make any sense to the disciples or the people who were overhearing the things that were going on. And so in John 5, chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, here's what Jesus asked. He said, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? And again, he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. And so Philip said, he said, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed all of these people. He had already done the math in his head. He was calculating that would be approximately about 200 days worth of wages to gather enough money to even go buy bread that's nowhere to even be found. And probably that would still not cut it to feed all of these people. It made no sense to him. 
And yet in light of the circumstances, Jesus was not necessarily interested whether or not his question made sense to Philip. What he was interested in was Philip's attitude and his response to what Jesus was asking him to do. The question was, was he willing to be obedient? Was he willing to trust Jesus in the moment that did not make any sense to him? It's amazing when you think about it how we will trust Jesus to forgive us of our sin, right? We'll trust Jesus for our salvation. We'll trust Jesus that we're going to spend forever in heaven. But when it comes to trusting Jesus, trusting the God of the universe, our creator, who's in control of all things, when it comes to trusting God to provide for our needs, we're like, no way. I'm going to take control of that. And what happens a lot of times is that we trust Jesus for all these other things because we're willing to believe in the spiritual realm for those things, but when it comes to the natural realm of things, we like to lean on our own understanding. Why? Because in the spiritual realm, those things often don't make sense, but yet there are some things in the natural that make sense, and we'd much rather hang on to what we know and what we understand. So here's what I want to just share with you that's kind of interesting when you think about some of the great stories and examples of the Bible. Remember Abraham. Well, Abraham was called of God. Here he was, 75 years of age, living in a large area. He was very affluent, very wealthy, successful. I mean, he had everything going on as far as all of the earthly provisions you could ever want, security, I mean, everything, familiarity. And yet at age 75, when he ought to be just chilling and kicking back, God says, I want you to pick up everything you got, and I want you just to go. And by the way, as you go, I'll tell you when you get there. Had no clue where he was going, but he stepped out in faith at 75 years of age and followed God's plan and listened and obeyed and stepped out in faith. And yet, God promised him, I'm going to... I'll tell you when you get there, but I'm going to send you to a place. It's going to be a good place. It's going to be a pl- place of a blessing and, and, and provision. And your, everything will be blessed. But he leaves and God tells him, hey, and by the way, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he's like, you got to be kidding me. I'm 75. And now well, fast forward the clock. Now he's 100 years of age and his wife is 90. I mean, they weren't necessarily... You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, they didn't have a whole lot going on. They didn't have a whole lot to work with. Yet he's, he's 100, she's 90, and God says, okay, I'm going to give you a child. And they're like, okay, going to do what? Well, God gives him a child. His name is Isaac. Well, after all of that waiting and all the promises, God finally provides a child. I mean, Unbelievable. And then as soon as God gives him a child, after all that waiting, what does he do? God says, okay, now I want you to take that child, that son of yours, and I want you to go up to this mountain, and I want you to build an altar, and I want you to sacrifice your son on that altar. Made no sense. Why in the world would I do that? 
And yet Abraham, once again, obeys God. He climbs up the mountain. His son is walking behind. He's like, Dad, where are we going? I don't know. We're going up here. What are we going to do? I don't know. I'll tell you when we get there. They get up there. He's building an altar. And all of a sudden, he takes his son, straps him to the altar, and he's getting ready to sacrifice his son to do the very thing that made no sense at all to Abraham, but he did it because God told him to do it. And as he's getting ready to literally sacrifice his son on the altar, what did God do? God sent a ram from the thicket, from the, from the bushes, and guess what God did? In that very moment, God provided exactly the way God had intended all along, but he wanted to test Abraham to determine whether or not he was going to listen and he was going to obey and he was going to do the very thing he'd asked him to do, even though it didn't make sense. And so therefore, Abraham, of course, took the ram and rather than sacrificing his son, he took the ram and sacrificed it. And that's the reason why that place was known and referred to as Jehovah Jireh is referred to as the Lord who provides because in that moment, God provided, even though it didn't make sense. And that's what Proverbs teaches. Proverbs teaches us in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, trust in and rely confidently on the Lord with all of your heart and do not rely on your own insight or understanding, but in all of your ways, Know and acknowledge and recognize him, and he will make your path straight and smooth, removing obstacles that block your way. So when we're walking in faith and we're in obedience to what God wants and plans and desires for our lives, when we are honoring his plan and we're living out his purposes, even though sometimes it doesn't make sense, sometimes it's hard, doesn't, doesn't make sense because it's hard and, and things aren't easy, some things don't always go as we had hoped, but all of a sudden as we step out in faith and do the very thing that makes no sense at all, God chooses to make sure we are blessed, we are protected, and we are provided for. It's his plan. So the first thing is, we have to do and trust in the things, trust God even when things don't make sense. Number two, don't limit God. You see, sadly and unfortunately, the disciples were limiting God on what God wanted to accomplish. What Jesus was instructing them to do. And what's interesting is that in this moment, these disciples, once again, who had walked with Jesus, who had been eyewitnesses to Jesus' miracle, miracles, who were even a part of his inner circle. I mean, if anybody should have been trusting Jesus in the moment, the disciples should have been trusting Jesus to do whatever he said to do. And yet, again, it didn't make sense. And because they saw the situation, they saw the circumstances that was a little intimidating and daunting and overwhelming, they took matters in their own hands, and in the natural, they said, this is impossible. And so therefore, they put a limitation on what God wanted to do. So in John 6, 8 and 9, it says it this way. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, and he said, there's a young boy over here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd so he's like 
There's no food anywhere around here. Everything's shut down. I mean, it's getting late in the day. There's no, there's, I mean, you know, Uber Eats, they've already shut her down. And so in this moment, all you got with all these thousands of people are two fish and five loaves of bread. And so the disciples, Andrew, I don't know where he met this kid and how he saw him, where he found him, but he brought that to Jesus, he said, I don't know, I don't know what you're thinking, but I'm just telling you, this, this is not going to be nearly enough. And so what's interesting is that in that moment, they forgot that Jesus, being God, was the actual miracle worker. They had forgotten that he was the one who could do the impossible. So here's what we need to understand. We limit God in our lives when we begin to rationalize and we begin to justify and we begin to reason in our mind what is and what is not possible with God. And I think it's important that when we understand and analyze the situation, they had a major challenge and a problem on their hand and it was the fact that it was getting late in the day there were thousands of people that were getting hungry they needed to be let go so they could go back to their homes to get something to eat and in this moment they put a limitation on God but yet here's what Jesus wanted them to rem- wanted them to be reminded of and that was this every problem every situation every challenge every circumstance that we go through in our lives every miracle first begins with a problem. And I want to just ask, how many of you are going through some problems in your life? You don't have to show your hand, but chances are there's probably a lot of us in this room, maybe you're going through some marital difficulties and you need a miracle in your life. Some of you are going through some physical health challenges and you need a miracle in your life. Some of you perhaps are going through some financial setbacks and some situations or circumstances and you need a miracle in your life well once again i want to remind you whatever you do do not limit god and whatever you do in the moment in the natural when things do not make sense whatever you do you need to understand that if you have a problem that seems overwhelming and intimidating and daunting in your life guess what you are guess what we are that means we are good candidates for a miracle amen so we can't ever put a cap on god we can't limit god for what he can do. In fact, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 17, verse 20. He said, I'll tell you the truth. If you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it would move. Why? Because nothing would be impossible. You see, God is looking at our faith. He's testing our faith, whether or not we're willing to be obedient, even when it doesn't make sense. Why? Because he doesn't want it. He doesn't want us to put limitations on him. What may seem impossible to us is, listen, it's possible with God. That's why I love what Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And there's the third principle I want us to learn, and that is this. God just is asking us to faithfully give what we do have because in verses 10 and following in John 6 it says tell everyone to sit down and so Jesus said he he said get everybody just to take their seats sit down relax everybody just relax okay 
So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. And again, just the men alone numbered 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and he distributed, the, distributed them to the people. And afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. It's incredible. And after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, he said, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had, who had eaten from the five barley loaves. And when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. What's interesting is that the disciples had the capacity, they had the ability to do something in the moment. But because from their perspective, what they had to be able to give was not enough, Listen to this. They didn't give it all. Did you hear that? There's a lot of times when God gives us an opportunity, and the opportunity is so big. And we think to ourselves, there's no way. Humanly speaking, that's impossible. And so rather than giving what we do have, we don't give it all. And yet, here's a little boy. He didn't have, you know... Swiss bank accounts, he didn't have, you know, all of the, you know, the, the endless funds and resources. All he had was a little Scooby snack that his mom packed for him for the day. Two fish, five loaves of bread, and he gave what he did have. And what did God do? God took what this little boy did have, and because he gave it, God blessed it. Jesus blessed it. He distributed among the people, and because of what Jesus did in the moment, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and he blessed it, he distributed What did he do? He multiplied it to the point that everybody was full. It's like, man, I can't put another thing in my mouth. To the point that they had leftovers, and as a result, the people witnessed a miracle. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you, here's what I'm going to ask you today. How many of you would agree with me that 5 plus 2 equals 7? We were taught that, right? How many of you believe that to be true? You and I know that to be true in the natural, but that is not God's math. In the supernatural, here's how God equates 5 plus 2. In God's economy, listen, God's math goes like this. 5 plus 2 equals equals at least 10,000 plus people. We know 5,000 was already fed, but approximately 10 to 15,000 people were fed. So 5 plus 2, we know for sure, equals 5,000. In God's economy, he has the ability to take what we do have, bless it, break it, multiply it, and go far beyond anything we could possibly even imagine. Why? Because God is who he says he is. And he will do what he promises he will do. In Proverbs 11, verse 24, it says it this way. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. And the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. I want to wrap this up by sharing a couple of things. And I'm going to introduce you to some friends. Today is a significant day in the life of our church in the fact that we 
um, just over a month ago, right in a month ago, Sunday after Easter, we announced to the church um, that we were going to be doing something starting today. So we gave everybody a month to think about, pray about, have some conversations, figure out what they could do to help be a part of this day called Make Your Mark Commitment Sunday for the purpose of giving financially toward our future and specifically to help us purchase 4.7 acres of land right off of Narcosi Road. And by now, most of you know that. You've seen the presentation. You've hopefully seen the video online and all of this. I'm not going to go into details. But it's for $1.4 million was the purchase agreement. So do we have $1.4 million? No. Can we get loans from banks? Not really. We've tried, and we have a few that's willing to kind of stick their neck out there with us under the condition, listen to this, under the condition that we bring 50% cash to the table, and that's only if we can prove and demonstrate to the lenders that we can not only honor that commitment, but in the time frame before we close, we have the financial capacity in terms of positive cash flow to be able to service the balance of the debt. So I get a phone call the other day from our CPA and crunching numbers, and she's doing what she does. She crunches numbers. And in the human realm, she says, I don't think this is going to work. And I said, well, I get that. We've been talking about that for 20 years. And she says, but no, I don't know how this is going to work. I said, I don't either. But I just know that God is going to provide. And she has witnessed miracle after miracle after miracle. She's been with us for about 17 years. And so as we talked through some things, I said, well, I know one thing that we're going to do, Michelle and I are going to do. And I said, we're going to commit and we're going to give a five-figure gift. And I'm telling you that, not to brag, I'm telling you that because that's what God has put on our heart to do. We just sold our house to free up some things so that we could position ourselves to be able to do some things. And I realize not everybody can go sell their home. But we have been very blessed in the previous years where we were able to buy homes and see the value of those homes grow. And then we would sell at the peak. And we would take that and we would just begin to use that over and over and over. And we did the same thing again. The house that we bought before, the one that we're living in now, we asked a crazy amount of money for the house, knowing we probably wouldn't get it. It sat on the market for a couple of months. And I get a phone call from the broker and said, hey, he said, man, you must be a praying man. I said, what? He said, uh, we got a cash buyer for your house, and he's not even going to negotiate. He's just going to pay. He's going to stroke you a check. I said, that's awesome. He said, what's even more crazy is that dude just won the lottery. I kid you not. He won the pick six lotto here in Orlando, and he bought our house, and he bought another house down the street, paid cash for both. I'm like, well, bring it on. Come on. <laughs> Same. Listen to this. Listen to this. I got to hurry. Same thing. Listen to this. Same thing happened to this house that we're living in now. We just felt led to put it on the market. Did not make sense to anybody. One week, done deal, cash offer. 
We say, all right, God, we're going to do this again. It's working. But you're blessing us so that we can be a blessing. And we talked to our accountant the other day, and she said, is there any way you and Michelle could stretch, and could you give the remaining balance of your tithe up front for the rest of the year? And so Michelle and I, we were working through it, and we said we're going to commit to doing that on top of that. So here's the reason why I'm sharing these things with you. We've learned that sometimes you have to step out in faith and do things that make no sense whatsoever. But out of obedience, you just step out and you do it. And we've learned that whatever you do, don't put a limit on God. And we've also learned that through it all, if you just give what you do have, God takes it, uses it, multiplies it, and sometimes you can't even explain it to other people, but God just blesses it. And we've given, and I'm not exaggerating, in the last 21 years, hundreds of thousands of dollars that God has blessed us with to this church through our tithe and through special offerings that we've contributed to. Now again, I want to read something. I want to invite some friends up. In 1 Chronicles 29, King David, incredible story here where, you know, they're raising funds to build the temple. And it says, and now because, this is David, and now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I'm giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. And this is an addition to the building materials I've already collected for his holy temple. And I'm donating more than 112 tons of gold from Ophir and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Listen. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? Then the family leaders and the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and captains of the army, and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly. And the people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And King David was filled with joy. What does that say? What that says is that, you know what? We can't outgive. God. And when we step out in faith and we do what sometimes doesn't make sense and we don't put a limit on God and we give what we do have, God takes it, he, listen, he takes it, he blesses it, he multiplies it, and he blesses us far beyond anything we could ever imagine. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, it would mean a great deal to us if you would consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. You can click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories. And be sure to tag us at Rethink Life Church. To learn more about our church, check out RethinkLife.com. Until next time, hey, we love you and believe the best is yet to come in your life.